In this interview, I had a really nice chat with Rocky Romanella. He has over 40 years experience in retail, franchising and leadership development, and now has a few stories to tell, which you'll find in his book, Tighten the Lugnuts. I really enjoyed listening to what Rocky has to say, and I think you will too. Good morning, Rocky. Thanks for joining me today. I know it's early for you. Wow, it's a pleasure to be here and it's a pleasure to wake up with such an inspiring host. <laughs> Thank you very much. Before we dive into your work, because I know there's a lot we can talk about there, um, I'd like you to share with me the key events that led you to where you are now, a little bit of your background and history, if you will. Sure. Thank you very much for asking. Uh, so uh, very simple kind of background. You know, I originally went to college to be a high school history teacher and a baseball coach. And uh, I started working at UPS, a large transportation company, and I'm sure the global brand that everyone knows, and uh, it gave me an opportunity to pay my way through college. College. And uh, as I was in UPS working my way through unloading trailers, I noticed that some of the best leaders, some of the best managers were individuals who could get people to connect their dots, connect mm-hmm. the dots. And, and so for me, I changed my major to management and I never gave up my passion of teaching. For me, the classroom changed from a traditional ca- classroom to now a business. So I, I felt like it gave me a chance to still be a teacher, but just have people connect dots and, and train and develop them in a different setting. And so for me, that's how it kind of all began for me is in this UPS unloading trailers, working my way through college. My dad told me two things. He has passed, but two things that stuck with me throughout my career. And, and today I still use those. And the two things he said to me was whatever they ask you to do, say yes and thank you. And then learn your job and learn some more. And so those two things stuck with me throughout my career. UPS had a promotion from within policy that I took advantage of. Mm -hmm. And so as I grew and developed throughout my career, and there were times, Ben, where I may not have felt I was ready for this next assignment. But what I learned through, through this journey was that there are times as leaders that you have to believe in your people until they're ready to believe in themselves. Yeah, yeah. And that helps bridge that gap of confidence. And so UPS believed in me well in advance of what I believed in myself. And so as I grew and developed, I learned that as a valuable lesson. And, you know, and that's such an important lesson for small businesses. I mean, you know, when you hear UPS and 400,000 employees, you wonder, well, how do these lessons translate into small businesses? You know, one man bands, you know, companies with one or two people. Well, in many cases, that's the most important company that needs to understand that. Because if you think about it, you're the you're the owner. Nobody knows the business better than you, you do. Now you have to get to that point of hiring that first individual. Are you going to let them use the cash register? Are you going to trust them with your business? Do you believe in them until they're ready to believe in themselves? And so those lessons served me well, not only in my days at UPS and later on as a CEO and board member at Unitech, but now as in my own small business. That's actually one of the hardest um, hurdles that I've had to get over in terms of um, employing people or bringing people on, whether that's a full-time employee or a contractor. I, I have a, a lot of issues in, in, in the sense of that, that um, almost maybe not trusting myself to do that job. Um, so therefore, it's very difficult to pass that on to someone else. And that's been the biggest hurdle for me to overcome. And I, and I see that in a lot of other businesses where it's, it's difficult for them to jump from just doing everything themselves to trusting others and working with others until they, they're confident to themselves, as you said. Well, it's interesting because, you know, one of the things that, that I talk a lot about in the book and I talk a lot about in my speaking engagements is this concept of don't let your strength be your weakness. Mm-hmm. And if you think about the strength of, you know, of a small business owner, you know, no one knows your business better than they do. No one's more passionate, you know, and no one has that pure, you know, P&L or ownership uh, values than they do, right? 
However, what's their weaknesses? No one knows their business better than they do. No one's more passionate about their business. And, and so that becomes their strength, becomes their weakness. And mm-hmm. so that ability to get over that is such an, so important in the small business world. You know, I, I tell small businesses, I get a chance to work with all the time, that if you think about it, you're getting ready for you know peak season. You're getting ready for this uh, maybe a new product launch. And so mm-hmm. inside your business, inside your store, you know, you've got salespeople all over helping Yet the line isn't inside the store. The line's at the cash register because you're the only one that'll use the cash register. And you're thinking to yourself, the line's out the door to pay you uh, because you won't trust someone else to use a cash register or trust someone else. And so that's that's that key step. It's not an easy step to take, but it's certainly one of those steps that's important to take as you start to grow your business as a small business owner. So talk to me about your business. It's called 360 Management and you specialize in leadership development. Leadership development, keynote speaking, I've, mm-hmm. I've done it, uh, keynote speaking, uh, I, I really enjoy it. I've done it around the world at different times in my career, and now I'm doing it uh, more on a professional basis. And uh, I love the leadership training. As I said, I never really gave up my passion for teaching. I felt yeah. like I got a chance to do that throughout my career. Uh, we also do, uh, on the consulting side, we do process improvement. I, I really believe it's about the process. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes, you know, we get we, we look at a problem, we attack it, we fix it. But because we haven't fixed the process, six months, a year later, three could be three weeks later, we're, we're coming back and we're fixing the same problem again. So for me, I think it's about process improvement. So we have uh, consulting engagements with companies various sizes to help them on their process improvement. And by process, do you mean the technical element of it, the people, the staffing, or, or everything? Well, it's interesting. I think it's it's all of it in the sense of for me, there's three key constituents when you're when you're making business decisions or you're improving process. There's the customers, your people, and then there's the stakeholders, the share owners mm-hmm. that you have to keep in, in consideration. A quick example would be, you know, you develop a new product, you know where it fits in the marketplace, you know what niche it's gonna have. Well, so that's taken care of. So the customer is represented in the decision process. You have, you know, obviously you as the CFO owner or, or if you're a little larger and you have an account, they've already figured out good pricing, going to make money, good product. The question is, has your people been represented in the sense of do they know what roles they play? Do they know how important that product is, what the launch is? What if there's a service disconnect? How do they handle that service disconnect? And so for me, the process has to include those three key constituents, and then it has to be documented so that, you know, as they say, if you get hit by a beer truck, it's someone else run the business. And so you want to make sure that there is that process there so that people can understand it and it can get translated. And there's a consistency. Yeah, absolutely. Consistency for me uh, in in terms of our our small business, we're starting to grow, taking on um, more freelancers and contractors working under our name. So working as as if uh, as if they're rather inventive, that consistency and having a process in place has been valuable. And we're still developing that. And it's it's something I, I do see in a lot of businesses. You probably do that if they can understand what they're doing, how they're delivering it and they have that process in place, I think it can make a huge, huge difference. And, and it, it, for me, personally, it makes me feel more confident about what we're doing. We, we feel more, we feel stronger in the business. Well, I think that's true. And, and I think the other thing is probably the most important part. And if you think about marketing and you think about how you, you, know, you spend the time to market your company and build your brand, nothing is more sacred to a company than its brand. And, and then how its brand promise translates into how, 
you know, how it's executed, but who mm -hmm. executes that brand? It's the people, it's the people closest to your customers. And so to the degree to which you get them to understand what roles they play, understand the brand promise, understand that they represent the brand, can you get them to think like an owner? If this was their business, would they make those decisions? Then they're executing yeah. your brand and your brand promise. And the key is what do they do when no one's watching, right? So when you're standing there as the owner, they're clearly going to execute at a, a much higher level. But the key is, what do they do when no one's watching? And so when you're off in the back or you're out on another client visit trying to build your business, and they're they're there inside your store or they're inside your offices executing your brand, are they executing it as if it was their business? And if you can get to that point, that's just a, a huge competitive advantage for you. It is. We're, we're a remote team, and I'm lucky to have a great team who I can trust to do um, not not even necessarily what I would do, but the right thing in the in the situation, even if it's outside of procedure. So I'm very lucky. But we've got we're a remote company. I'm not I'm not watching them all the time. Uh, they operate independently in many respects, so that works well. Just going back to leadership, can you define that for me? What does being a leader mean to you? Well, first, I believe that we're all leaders at one time or another. I mm -hmm. think it. I think people get caught up in titles, and so they you'll hear people say, "Well, I'm not a leader," yeah. you know. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're all leaders, and 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 I believe that because to me, leadership's about legacy. And for me, legacy is you leave things a little better than you found them. Are people better because of their time with you? Are your customers better because of their interaction with your company? And so, by that extension, we're all leaders. And if I could use staying with my, you know, my teaching passion, you know, if you and I were in, in doing a conference or in a workshop, and I said to everyone in the conference, you know, who is the state representative or who's the local government representative that represents you? Most people couldn't answer that. But if I said to them, who's that teacher that made a difference in your mm -hmm. life? Everybody stops, tilts their head and says, oh, Miss so-and-so, third grader, Mr. So-and-so. And so by that extension, they leave a legacy. And so for me, that's what leadership's all about. Do you leave a legacy? Do you leave things a little better than you found them? Are people better because of the time with you? And so when you think about it from that perspective, it's all of us because all of us have a chance to have a positive influence on others around us. And how do you think people can become better leaders if they want to or they feel it's necessary What's something that they can focus on? What can they do? Well, there's always the learning that you get from just the interactions of people around you. I mean, you have to be open. I always say that, you know, look, there's all the traditional, you know, you read some books, go to some workshops, but some of the best learnings come from the interaction with people around you. And, and you know, when, I, when you go through the book, you see that I have all these stories in there. And for me, it, learning is much easier when you can connect the dots and there's some stories and you can mm. smile and have a little laugh. But at the end of the day, you sit there and say, oh, yeah, those aha moments. Oh, okay, that makes some sense. I'll give you a quick example. One of my best learning examples comes from my wife, who's a great friend, partner, you know, uh, we raised four, well, she raised four kids, I should say. <laughs> I was traveling a lot. But, you know, she, we were out to dinner one night and we had met this couple and, uh, and so the wife says to Debbie, so you have four kids. Who's your favorite? And so I'm thinking, I got to take a step back and listen to this answer here. That's her, I never heard her get asked that question before. <laughs> and so she says, well, they're all my favorite. I said, wait. So the woman says, no, no, not one has to be your favorite. Come on. You got four kids. One of them has to be your favorite. And then she said something, Ben, to me that was brilliant and thoughtful and I've used throughout my career. She said, each of them gets what they need when they need it. Each of them gets what they need when they need it. And I thought about that. That's that's unbel that's so thoughtful and brilliant. And from that point forward, 
I really use that as sort of the foundation of, of how I interacted with my people. And you know, think about what you were talking about just a few minutes ago. You know, it's the ability to trust your people. Well, when you have a seasoned employee working for you, what they need when they need it isn't for you to overmanage them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, but if you have that new person, what they need is for you to guide, mentor, you know, mm. do those kinds of things. Right. So they may get more of your time and effort. It doesn't mean they're your favorite. It means at that moment they need more of your personal time, more your effort, more your follow-up. That other person who is really a seasoned individual and really good at what they do, and as you said, distributed employees, you trust them, right? So what they don't need you is they don't need you micromanaging them. What they need is you being a cheerleader. Hey, keep up the good work. Hey, nice job. You did a really good job on that decision. I appreciate how you handled that on behalf of our our business. So that's, you know, for me, I've managed that going forward. I large managed some pretty large organizations and some of my staffs were 20, 21 people and each of them needed different things at different times. So for me, that simple lesson in that conversation. So to answer your question, there's opportunities to grow and develop as both a person and a professional by your ability to be open and listen and say, well, you know, every day I say, hey, I'm going to learn something from somebody if I'm mm -hmm. willing to listen and willing to walk away and say, you know what, that's a good way of thinking. I never thought of it that way. Yeah, thank you. I found it fascinating just speaking to people like the interviews I'm doing, like with you, Rocky, today, uh, listening to books on Audible and just absorbing lots of information. M maybe a lot of it's cruft, but then listening to people, getting feedback from people and just taking on board uh, and slowly building up over time. Hopefully I will become a better leader, but it's it's a process, more uh, more of a journey than, than anything else. Um, you mentioned your book a few times. Now, this is called Tighten the Lug Nuts. Um, what does the title mean? I was a bit confused when I first saw it and I was reading reading through your history. Just tell me a little bit about the book. Chapter number one, Simple Acts of Kindness. I want to talk about that as well because I thought, found that anecdote fascinating. Well, thank you. So the title comes from one of the stories in the book. And basically the story is, you know, there was a vehicle with some loose lug nuts. And as I was approaching a supervisor to ask them to take a look at another much bigger problem, I noticed the loose lug nuts. And so, of course, I approached them with the big problem and say, hey, before you get there, we've got some loose lug nuts over here. Long story short, they don't take care of the loose lug nuts. Not that anything serious happened, but now it takes them off plan because they get a phone call that says, hey, I think the front tire might be loose. <laughs> So the, the lesson is don't allow important things to become urgent. Mm -hmm. At that moment, the loose lug nuts were important. They weren't urgent. You had time to fix them. But in a simple walking over with a, a wrench, you could have fixed the lug nuts. But most people don't take care of the important things. And now they allow them to become urgent. So now as a professional and as a person, you can only handle so many urgent things. So when you allow important things to become urgent, you get overwhelmed and you can only juggle so many of those balls. So the lesson is always tighten the lug nuts. Right. It reminds me of something from the Getting Things Done book. I don't know if you've read oh, that. Okay. Um, yeah, sure. Where absolutely. David Allen talks about looking after the little things. So a lot of people just want to focus on the big tasks. They think if they get those out of the way, then they can move on. And he's saying, actually, if you can get those small tasks out of the way, they don't turn into big tasks. And you can get them done. And that mental energy that you're spending thinking about them is removed. And I've often found that you do see people looking at the big, easy targets with maybe a lot of work to do. But it's actually the small little things that if you can get them done, they give you a lot of runway to work with. Or in this case, they can actually save your car from going off the road. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. And it, I think, you know, that whole thought of uh, the sum of many little things done well mm -hmm. really equals some great, great things. But, uh, you know, I always find it interesting when you talk to someone who now didn't tighten the lug nuts, 
now they're, you know, now they're all upset. They're frustrated. I never, you know, they'll say, oh, well, you know, I have no luck. Nothing ever goes my way. You know, I was, I was just so focused on this and now I got to come off plan. And you think to yourself, well, just tighten the lug nut. It's going to take you a few minutes. So you're right. It's, uh, you know, sometimes when you meet the enemy, it's the person looking in the mirror. You yeah, know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so just chapter one, I, I haven't read all the book. I've just uh, I've skimmed some of it on, on Amazon. Um, and I was reading part of chapter one, Simple Acts of Kindness. And you're talking about the boarding process. And you've got an anecdote there about how you feel it's organized chaos in terms of that people just want to rush in. And it's the, what was it you said, the survival of the f- firstest. People just yes, want to get in. Yes. Can you explain that for me? Just um, explain that to people. Well, for me, you know, when you think about leadership and you, it really starts with those simple acts of kindness, it's being a good person. Mm-hmm. I think values matter in all that we do, and especially in leadership, right? Values matter. And those, and sometimes I think we lose sight of those simple acts of kindness. Hello, thank you, really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I laugh like we were talking about the boarding process. And as I said before, in the book is full of these stories that kind of get you to stop and think about, you know, when they say, you know, that, you know, now we're going to board, you know, children, you know, and all of a sudden people are showing up and, you know, the kid's 30 years old. It's like, well, it's my kid. And they were a child <laughs> at one time. I got it. But I mean, we're not at that point yet right now. And I think what happens is that people believe there's rules and then there's rules for me. Well, no, there's rules for all of us. And and sometimes in, in the way you interact with your people, what I find very frustrating and difficult in today's world, especially on the business side, and I think you probably see it too. I mean, you have to work at managing a distributed workforce. Mm. So the, the so there's great advantages of managing, you know, there's great advantage of having a distributed workforce. However, or a workforce that's not in an office setting in the traditional sense. However, to be effective at it, you have to work at it. It's just not, oh, okay, I took care of you by letting you work from home. So therefore, I believe you should do a great job for me. It doesn't work that way. I mean, you have to work at the simple acts of kindness of a simple note to someone that says, hey, you know, I know you're doing a great job out there. I noticed that uh, you just you just uh, signed this new client. Thank you. Because the problem is, is that people wonder, does Ben know what I'm doing out here? Do they realize? And I also think... To me, it's, you know, people who work from home, it's a case of extremes. If you're a highly motivated person, someone who's very committed, I think you probably work way too many hours when you're working from home because you're always on, right? You're walking by your computer, you notice an email come in at eight o'clock at night, you answer it. You know, if that laptop was at your office, you wouldn't be answering it. So, so the person who's highly motivated and a good employee is really going to probably overwork. And so you have to pay attention to that. And that's that simple act of kindness of saying, hey, make sure you spend some time with your family, you know, whatever. The employee who isn't killing themselves is really not going to kill themselves when they're when no one's watching them. So I think that those simple acts of kindness are important because they're the things of please, thank you, really appreciate the job you're doing. And you notice the things about your employees and, and the people that you work with that really can motivate them. And and look, it's not because you gave them a $50 bonus or yeah, you, yeah. it's the simple acts of kindness that really go a long way. Yeah, and often they're overlooked. So, I mean, I've, I've certainly been uh, uh, bad at that in the past because you're so busy, you're focused, and it's not that you don't appreciate the work that everyone does, but you just get so wrapped up in what you're doing. And it is difficult to take that step back and think about, picking up some detail and thanking them for that particular thing 
And it, it, it goes as far as um, I was talking to someone the other day. He gets a lot of referrals from from clients. And I was saying, do you thank them? Do you say thank you? Do you give them a small a gift? Nothing worth of any any value. Just a little right. uh, something funny, some some little treat, something that will just help them remember that and make them think I did a good thing for you. And you remember that you told me about it. And, and, and that's become quite valuable for me as well. But it, I, I've had to train myself to do that. But that's because what you do stems from an honest heart, which you, you, you're, you're sincere about your desire to, so. to yeah, but, 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 but that's how, you know, right. Mm-hmm. You know, because you're doing those little things, right. You're not sitting there saying, okay, let's put together a program and you send out an email that says, okay, we're going to start recognizing all the people who don't work in an office. Okay. That's, yeah, that's great. But it's, people look at that as like, okay, I guess somebody must've told him or he read this in a book that this yeah, is yeah. what you do. <laughs> that's why I always talk about those simple acts of kindness. Yeah. Valuable. So, who did you write the book for? What's that? Who's it for? So I think the book is, is you know, we talk about, I guess it's on the shelf in leadership, but really it's, mm-hmm. it's for all of us because all of us are leaders at one time or another. And it gives us those chance to think about both our personal life and professional life. How do we conduct ourselves? Do we do things with value and ethics and integrity? You know, do, do, you know, do we have a good balanced approach to, to at the way we look at things? So the book is for, you know, I, I, it is, a, is a book for all people. As I said, teachers love it mm. because we talk about that, you know, the fact of, about legacy and they start, they connect the dots that, yeah, you know what, I don't think of myself that way. You know, I tell people all the time, I had some great titles in my career, uh, but none better than the, the current title I have, which is grandpa. So for me, that's one <laughs> of the greatest titles, right? So four great grandkids, uh, Nico, uh, Penelope, uh, Aviana, and Sophia. And w- when they say hello to you or they smile at you, it just makes your day. And so that it's those little things like that that you have to find out there. And, the, and I think the other thing that's important is it's okay to disagree. We just don't need to be disagreeable. Mm-hmm. And so when you foster that feeling inside your organization or the people you interact with, that look, we're not going to agree on everything, but let's not be disagreeable. I think that goes such a long way. And then you start to get that dialogue. You know, that's when people say, bring you bad news. Unfortunately, none of us will want it, but you have to hear bad news. And you have to set that tone from the top that you're willing to listen to bad news. And that's both your kids, right? Think about it. If they don't bring you bad, hey, I didn't do well in this class, or hey, this situation took place. You know, I probably should have left, but I didn't. So now I'm, you know, I've got this problem. You always say, hey, look, call me. I can help you. I can't help you if you don't call me. So I think it's that ability to set set that openness and trust, uh, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's in your personal life or in your professional life. And just personally, I'm curious about what the process of writing the book was like. I've written a book with a colleague. It was hard, hard work. Can you, was that something that came easily to you? Where did you get the ideas from? How, how did everything come back to you? Well, it's interesting because as you probably did, you sit there the first few weeks and you're staring at a blank piece of yeah. paper and you're thinking, well, who's going to read the book? <laughs> Do I got enough to put in a book? And oh, yeah. by the way, I better not embarrass myself with a thousand misspelled words in Absolutely. here. So, so it's like you keep looking at the paper going to write something. And, it, and then finally, once you get over it, for me, it was a little different because, you know, I had done a lot of a lot of speeches, a lot of talks through my careers. And so I had these different topics that were, that became part of uh, Rocky Romanello. The other thing is I want, I wanted to really accomplish uh, a couple things in the book. The first was I wanted to recognize my dad who had been such an important part of my life growing up. So he's sort of a character in the beginning of the book. And then my wife, Debbie, who's such an important character, you know, important person in my life. Uh, and so we, we talked a lot about both of them. The second thing is this concept of legacy is so 
important to me. So, so the book gave me a chance to maybe leave a little bit of a legacy to where, mm -hmm. okay, you read the book. And, and the thing I tell people all the time is when you read a really good book, there's a lot of a lot of things in the book that you say, hey, you know what? I do that. You'll read the book, Tighten the Lug Nuts, and you'll say, you know what? I do that. That's a good thing, Ben. It reinforces that you do good things. You're a good person doing good things. And then you'll have a few aha moments. You know, you'll be like, ah, I never thought of it that way. Well, that's a good way of looking at it. I got to think about it differently. I think that's so important. That So I think that that's – so the book for me was a chance to – for, on this legacy piece is do I leave things a little bit better? Are there some things, if, if, if a person can get a smile from one of the stories and then, you know, have one of those aha moments that, you know what, I can look at it differently that way and then say, you know what, I do some pretty good things. Yeah, you do. You're a good person that does some pretty good things. So having that, that helps you drive it. Cause I do think that's important. If you're going to do anything big, like writing a book, creating content, videos, whatever it might be, you've got to You've got to have a reason for doing it. And that's your reason. You know, you wanted to bring people in that you love and care about, but also you want to leave that legacy. Oh, I agree. I think the other thing for me was I, I it took me a little bit to get through this piece of it, though, Ben, the, the format of the book or the, or the flow of the book. Mm -hmm. And then I finally just said, you know what? I got to be me. Absolutely. If nobody buys the book, at least I wrote it. The way. And so years ago, I created this character, Joe Scaffone. Mm -hmm. And how this character was created is when people when I would sit in a meeting and I think about when you have a production meeting or think about when you're sitting there, you have a new client and you're, you're putting together a marketing strategy for them. And, and the people in your group say, hey, I, I, ben, I think we should look at it this way or do it that way. I never liked the feeling of saying, well, that's a good idea, but what if or maybe you should look at it this way. And so years ago, I created Joe Scaffone. I would say, hey, Ben, that's a good idea. But you think Joe Scaffone thinks that's a good idea? And so you would laugh. And then, you know, and, and it was my way of of challenging you to be the best you could in a positive way. Mm -hmm. And the second thing I was always trying to do is I think that one of the mistakes that people make is they stop at the first right answer. Now, I agree it's a right answer, but don't stop at that first right answer. Can you look past that first right answer? So Joe Scaffone allowed me to say, hey, Ben, that's a good idea. But what if or what do you think Joe Scaffone would think? And I was challenging you in a good way to say, hey, Ben, Let's maybe look past that first right answer. Mm -hmm. And although that, that answer may have been right, when you go past that first right answer, you may find a deeper, wider, you might find a little better process, you may find a more sustainable process. And so Joe Scaffone allowed me through my career to, you know, and it became a joke as people who got to know me, they would say, hey, I already covered this with Joe. Joe thinks it's a good idea. <laughs> okay, well, let me listen to it. So for me, as I was writing the book, I said, you know what? I just got to be true to myself. Yeah. So I wrote it from Joe Scaffone. So Joe Scaffone is the main character in the book. So it becomes a fun book and it becomes that journey of my of my career with, with the, the many wonderful people I've met along the way, my dad, my wife, but some of the many people who I've met and learned from along the way. Yeah, that's good. It had me nodding along the, the areas I read, so uh, that's a good start. I mean, you can take this question how, however you will and apply it to whether it's your business or the book, but what marketing methods or campaigns have worked well in promotion of the book or your business? Well, I, I will I will tell you that that's been an interesting learn for me. And, and of course, you're you and, you know, and the people on your podcast are, are much more expert on it. And, and they probably have some much better grassroots stories. But for me, it's the difficulty has been is really understanding how does this whole social media work? Mm. Right. It, it's, it's interesting. Right. It, there's absolutely a place out there. But, you know, how do you position yourself? Number one. Number two is how do you make how do you protect your brand? Like, I think that's so important because 
you know, you start to get in these viral kinds of conversations with people on Facebook or LinkedIn or, on the, or you know, on Instagram. And, and then you start to, you lose yourself, right? You know, you, you've, you've seen it many times, right? You know, you start getting, these, you know, you have the social media person and then all of a sudden they're getting into this conversation that's well off of, you know, what the original intention was. So mm -hmm. for me, understanding it, you know, that's important. You know, SEO, I've never really understood that. I really worked hard at understanding it. It's, it's amazing how it all works. And, and so I think that's been interesting. So no matter what you do in life and no matter what you start working on, there's no substitute for hard work. Yeah, absolutely. You're going to have to work at it. And I think what happens is, you know, we still always say, you know, there's no easy answer. Well, I think when it comes to marketing in today's environment, there's no easy answer. Mm -hmm. You have to be willing to put the time in. For me, hard work without enthusiasm, just that hard work gets old. So you have to be enthusiastic. So for me, I, I've really been trying to take on, you know, our websites on WordPress. I mean, WordPress does some wonderful things, but boy, I gotta tell you what, it can be difficult, right? But you <laughs> yeah. have to work through it. You gotta work through it, right, Ben? I mean, and that's the aha moment for me. And, and especially in today's digital marketing, you have to be willing to put the time in and learn it. And, you know, I think that, you know, in, I'm from New Jersey. And so in Jersey here, everybody's got a guy. Well, there's no guy for social media for me. It's me. <laughs> you know, I got to learn it, especially in the small business. And there's no easy answer. So for me, what I've had to understand is there's great opportunity there, but there's great risk if you don't manage it properly. Mm. And, and that's why experts like you are so important because – you know, you've seen the mistakes. You, you can help me through it. But you're going to look at me and say, hey, you got to get me content. I can't write the way you feel. I can't represent your brand without your feeling. And so I can't just look at you and say, hey, I'm going to pay you. Run. You can help me and you're good at it. You're great at it. I'm sure that it's a good good side and the tough side of marketing. Mm. But I think it's so interesting to watch this whole social media. It is fascinating. And I think one area that you've got going for you in terms of marketing is you you want to be true to yourself and you want to do things the way that you would do them and i think that gives you an advantage over many other people who don't do that they want to do something the way another company or another person is doing it so they'll look up to a competitor and say we need to be them and i think that's wrong i think you need to be you and you need to be the best you and find the people who love working with you or you can give some value to and and work out from there and i think you've got that as a as a brand and your certainly your anecdotes and stories come across, you know, they come from you. They come from things that you've learned. Right. And that's the real benefit with marketing. If you could if you can get people to to see that, then uh, that's what you've got, you know, that's where you you flourish. Well, I, I I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. I also think that, you know, the internet's, you know, as we all know, is a powerful tool. But what the internet does that I think sometimes people, you know, lose sight of is that the internet allows the small company to to look big and the big company to, to look small. And so, so then what you have to do then is, you know, I, I tell people all the time, I just did a conference, Ben, uh, a logistics conference. And my, my topic was how do you compete against and hiring people and hiring good people against the Amazon, Google, and you know, apples of the world. Mm -hmm. I always start off with the simple concept of don't apologize for being a small business. Yeah. That's your strength. Yeah. I mean, do you think uh, Jeff Bezos is walking around Amazon warehouses saying hello to everybody? No. But people really do want to work for a company that they're talking to the individual whose name's on the, the sign outside. It's just how you present yourself. But if you start off the conversation with, hey, Ben, we've got this really good opportunity here for you, but I'm really sorry we're not Amazon, or hey, we're really a small company. 
Well, all right, you're already apologizing for your strength. So to your point, be true to yourself. Mm-hmm. Be proud of the fact that you're a small business. And when you're when you're marketing yourself, look, don't overstate yourself. But you know what? If you do it properly, people get on the Internet and they go to your website and they're like, wow, this is a professional first class organization. I want to do business with you know this, this company here. And I think sometimes we apologize or we say, ah, we're just a small company. You know, my my website doesn't need to look nearly like such and such or some other company. No, you that's your opportunity to make yourself, you know, get in the game and don't don't apologize for being a small business. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. It's it's something that a lot of people overlook. So looking to the future, what's next? Have you got any other plans? Anything else you're working on? Another book? Yeah, I started uh, sketching out my outline for the next book. I'm not sure, though. I got I to gotta do a little homework on it. So my next book is, I like when, uh, like, like I'll use uh, phrases from uh, from songs mm-hmm. as, as examples. Like, so, you know, so I'll look at someone in, you know, Hotel California. You can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. Yeah. You know, or, you know, uh, Tom Fogarty, Center Field, put me in coach, you know. And to me, that chapter would be about individuals who think they're ready for the next job put me in coach i'm ready to go you know i'm not sure yet whether i have the right to use some of these lines from songs so i'm working through some of the logistics of that but i always think if the title of the chapter and so you know you, you can make it fun and, and you know people say well i wonder what this chapter is about you know uh, put me in coach or something like that so i'm thinking about or you know uh, uh, or you, you know smuggler's blues i knew the gun mm-hmm. was loaded but i didn't think it kill it's like the people that are like did you, did you think about what you what you're going to try to accomplish before you started this right you know the person who jumps in the pool and realizes it's only a foot deep you know you have those people all the time you know so so my, I'm trying to lay it out in those kinds of ideas. And mm-hmm. so I've started laying it all out. And then as I've had the chance to get out and do some speaking and I had a speech in Australia, I'm doing more, you know, kind of globally now. You really meet people and, and the podcast have been great to just, you know, you discuss with people like yourself and you start to get ideas of what people, you know, what's the hot topic or what's like, yeah. like to me, values is such an important topic. I mm-hmm. mean, you look at the world today, you look at politics today and well, while I don't want to get into politics, at the end of the day, values don't matter and values are still such an important part of that. When I, you know, I, people always ask me about millennials. You know, what do you think about managing millennials? Do you, you think millennials? I, I look at it this way. I mean, I think millennials are the, are outstanding. They're so prepared. You know, they just ask good questions. We're not used to people asking us questions, you know, and I think that, you know, that's that's a strength that they ask good questions. It's not a disadvantage. I mean, when I was getting moved, I moved uh, eight times around the country here in the U.S. with UPS. They said to me on a Monday morning, hey, you're going to someplace tomorrow. Well, it was yes or no, sir, three bags full. I mean, that's how I was brought up. Well, today a millennial will say to you, hey, okay, Ben, well, you know, how does this impact my career? Is this a good thing for me to work on? Well, that's, they're not challenging. You're just asking you good questions. So don't get so insulted that they're, you know. So I tell people I started UPS in 1976. Now you know my age, but uh, I, I knew every word, the stairway to heaven. I had a beard and a ponytail. I don't think people thought I was the most prepared guy in the world <laughs> in 1976, right? But you know, you grow, you develop. So I, I think those are some of the topics that, you know, I, I'm learning as I'm interacting with people, getting asked. You start to, as you know, you start to, as you're, as you're out there working with firms and helping them grow their business, you start to learn that there's probably a handful of questions that almost all of them somehow get to you. So that becomes sort of the core of the book for me now, the book number two. Oh, good. Well, let me know how that's going on. So just before we finish off, is there a couple of marketing tips or bits of advice that you would give business owners 
and more detail here is is king because i think you know if, if you've got a really good idea a little bit of detail goes a long way i think the first one is is how do you drive this concept of ownership how do you get your people to feel that they understand what it is you're trying to accomplish in mm -hmm. your business and how they can they can impact that. And I think that's so important. So for me, it comes down to this term that's overused a lot, but I think we don't really understand it. That's empowerment. For me, empowerment yeah. means two things. Number one is, do I give you the authority that goes with the responsibility? So I give you the responsibility to take care of these things, but I don't give you the authority to make any decisions. And I never really describe the parameters of your authority. So for me, number one is your authority has equal your responsibility. The second is true empowerment is when people discipline themselves. So what do I mean by that? So think about the soccer field and the goalie lets the goal in. The goal just the ball just goes in and the goalie's he's kicking the, you know, he or she's kicking the net, and you can see that they're upset about the fact that they let that goal in. Well, you don't need to pile on at that point. They already are empowered, right? They're disciplining themselves, right? You know, so then you're handing them the lifesaver. Here, kid, have a lifesaver or take a Gatorade. We're going to get through this. Yeah. But when the when the ball goes in and the goalie's saying, you know what, the defense is never in the right place, the forwards aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, they're not empowered. They're just, you're, you're trying to find excuses and try to blame everyone else. And so true empowerment when people discipline themselves. If you get to that point where, Ben, you, your people are saying to you, hey, Ben, I've tried, I tried this, it didn't work out, it didn't go the way I wanted, but I'm going to try this, this, and this the next time. Well, now you become the what? Cheerleader. Mm -hmm. Now you know they're empowered, they care about your business. So that would be, for me, such an important part, and especially in the small business world, when when you can get people to be empowered and they're disciplined themselves and they're good stewards of your business and your brand. Brilliant. I think it's a good note to end on. Um, just before we sign off, I want to mention your website, which is 360managementservices.com. And that's the number 360 Management Services. And your book you can find on Amazon, which is Tighten the Lug Nuts. And I'll have a link in the show notes so people can just click through on there. Um, do you have an audio version? Because I'm an avid listener of Audible audio books. Um, no, I, I am working on that. Though. Good, good. I get that request quite a bit. And my youngest son, Andrew, has just started doing podcasts and has a great voice. So I'm thinking he's probably Perfect. the, he might be the right person. He would, it would be fun to do it, your son. So I, I, I remember working with a coach many years ago and he, he was saying, uh, a business coach, he was saying that you should really read a, a book a week. There's lots of good advice out there. Uh, read a book a week. I couldn't do that. I've, I've rarely found the time to do it until I found Audible. And then I was able to zoom through lots of stuff. So if you get it on Audible, I'll, I'll be there. Definitely. All right. All right. I have to keep that in mind. That's why. And that's the other thing, too, when you were saying about writing the book, I specifically said, you know, to your point, you know, how, how many, you know, when I when I'm on an airplane or sitting on the beach with Deb, it's about an hour, hour and 15, 20 minutes about is where my attention span is to read. And so the book, the book ends up being about 120 pages, which is about what you do. And about, so I tried to be considerate of, of the fact that nobody wants to read War and Peace, you know, on, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a Sunday morning on a beach. That's for sure. So, yeah. Thank you very much for your time. Really good to speak to you, Rocky. I've, uh, I've learned a lot, I think, out of this. Thank you very much. Oh, it's my pleasure. If I can help in you or, your, or any of your guests in any way, please keep me in mind. Yeah, certainly. Thanks. I'll, I'll provide them links to everything and we'll keep in touch. All right. Thank you, sir. Pleasure meeting you. Have a good day. Thanks. And you. Thanks for listening. If you like this interview, you can visit ratherinventive.com slash podcast and listen to more interviews with fascinating people, plus our monthly podcast on business, creativity, and the web to get the latest episodes the moment they are available.
you should subscribe directly in Apple Podcasts, Overcast, or whichever podcast player you use. If you'd like to get in touch with me, I'm at Ben Kinnaird on Twitter, or you can email hello at ratherinventive.com. Bye.